Well, hello. Welcome back to Between the Lines Recovery. I'm Jay Lynn, and I'll be your host. This is episode 29 of the podcast, and this week I will be interviewing Mark, who's an alcoholic who's absolutely killing it in recovery, and has been killing it in recovery for the past nine plus years. So you're going to get to hear his story. Um, and you will also get to hear from Mo in our, uh, fan favorite segment, uh, Gimme Mo. Mo will shed some wisdom, uh, on everything in the world for us, uh, today. And, um, that should be just about it. Uh, before we get going, I would like to say that this has been, uh, this week marks the one-year anniversary of when I started the podcast, and I want to thank all of you for listening and supporting. It's been a great experience for me this year, and I just get more and more inspired by by all the stories that I'm hearing and the feedback that I'm getting from the listeners, and um, I want to thank you guys for listening and supporting the podcast and making it possible to continue doing this and bringing these stories of experience, strength, and hope to as many people as possible and hopefully making a difference in the world and giving people that that little bit of hope that might uh, help them um, find the help that they need um, and get to a good place or to help them realize that they're not alone um, in suffering with this disease or in loving someone who does. Uh, this week, I got one more supporter of the podcast at our highest level. So thank you, Joe, for um, clicking that link and supporting the podcast. If anyone else wants to join Joe this week, just click that link and give what you can. Um, whatever you can do is much appreciated. Anyway, so I just wanted to say thanks again for continuing to listen. Um, it's been a great journey so far, and I hope to do this for, for many more years, many more episodes. I'd love to keep bringing stories to you. Um, we're at 40 listeners in 40 states and 18 countries. And I'd like to get it to 50 states. That'd be pretty awesome. Maybe I'll make a list of the 10 that uh, we, we don't have listeners in yet, and you guys can help me find some listeners there. Anyway, um, it's been great, and I love doing it, and I'm going to keep doing it, so thank you guys all for listening. So, I will be interviewing Mark, and we will be hearing from Mo, but before we get to any of that, this is the good news. The good news is brought to you by OnStage, a theater outreach and audience development program that works in collaboration with several colleges in and around the equally beautiful cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul. On stage uses teaching artists to facilitate in-class discussions about relevant social, political, and cultural topics that happen to bubble up in plays that are currently running local theaters. What an incredibly worthwhile mission it is. To learn more about OnStage or to make a donation to the cause, please check them out at onstagemn.org. That's onstagemn.org. The good news story this week comes from the great state of Michigan, where Governor Whitmer signed a gun control package into law. The Michigan governor signed a package of six expansive gun violence prevention bills into law uh, last week that will create universal background checks for all firearms and mandate safe storage requirements around children. There's a package including two different bills, but... uh, There's a lot more details to it, but it sure sounds like a a good start to me, and hopefully all the other states will follow. So, that was the good news. Now let's hear from my main man, Mo. All right, welcome back, Mo. How are you feeling tonight? Doing really well, thanks, you know. Anxious for spring to come around. This damn snow and cold weather keeps coming back, and I'm sick of it. Can bring on the warm weather, man. It'll happen. It'll happen. Uh, well, we're happy to have you back for another installment of Give Me Mo. Uh, what are you feeling like talking about tonight? Uh, I t- this today I'm going to talk about finally coming to the point where you have you admit and accept the fact that you suck at drinking. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds perfect. All right, man. I'm going to let you talk, and I'm going to shut up. All right? So uh, 
let it flow. Right on, man. So yeah, I recently have been uh, in touch with a friend of mine who's been an alcoholic for 30 some years and uh, he's sick of AA, he's sick of God or the higher power and he doesn't want to believe in it. And, uh, he keeps, you know, relapsing over and over. For 30 years, he's been relapsing. And sometimes it gets him in deep trouble. Sometimes it's just a little bit of trouble, you know. Sometimes he's losing his job. He's losing where he lives. Um, it causes him troubles every time he drinks. And uh, for the first time in my life, this time when I got sober 19 months ago, I finally realized that I just suck at drinking. I can't not drink too much every time. It's not like I can have a beer. And I still don't understand even normal drinkers having a drink. Um, it's just not good for you. I don't care about all those studies that you hear about, like one drink a day is good, actually good for your health and all that. It's not, it's poison. It's not supposed, you're not supposed to be drinking. and. It's crazy how society has manipulated us into believing that to have fun, you need to drink, to relax, you need to drink, um, to eat dinner, you need to drink. It's, uh, it's amazing how much it's gotten into our, into our society and into our heads that drinking is, goes with everything. And anyhow, I, when I'm talking with my buddy about this, it's like, you know, do you, I, I had to finally just ask him, you know, do you admit that you suck at drinking? That every time you drink, it fucks you up. It fucks up your life. Um, you lose your job. You lose your apartment. I mean, you can't drink and have nothing happen to you. And every time you drink, something bad happens. And um, he literally said to me, you know what? No one's ever asked that question to me that way. And, uh, it's, an, it's, a, it's kind of a, a, a startling thing to come to for both yourself and to hear somebody else actually say it. I mean, literally, I was a super high-functioning drinker. I could drink a ton, but still show up for work. Drink a ton and still maintain my relationships, both with family and friends, and, you know, keep a roof over my house and pay my bills. And um, But when I drank, I couldn't not drink until I blacked out or passed out um, so it didn't seem to me like I had a problem like I didn't seem like I was hurting anybody else but myself so who cares how much I drank even though every time I drank I'd wake up the next day and say alright I need to figure out how to drink differently I need to be able to just drink one beer or two beers after work and you know because that's how you relax that's how you reward yourself after a hard day's work and i get that i just realized that it's never going to be just one i just finally this last this time getting sober i realized that i suck at drinking i can't not drink too much and i kind of related it to like other addictions like people who are addicted to eating where you get your pleasure your dopamine rush from eating and you just can't not eat too much. Like if eating was my vice instead of drinking, I'd weigh 800 pounds and I could see what it was doing to me. Whereas with drinking, I can't see that my liver is fucking huge and about to fail on me. I can't see what I'm damaging in myself. And I can't see that I'm damaging relationships because I was kidding myself. I was hurting my relationships. People just weren't saying it to my face and saying, hey, you know, you drink too much and you're kind of annoying to be around once you get too drunk or it's annoying that you're telling me the same story again that you've told me three times before. Um, because, you know, they knew I was an alcoholic, but they didn't want to tell me that. And it's really a big point in sobriety to be able to tell yourself that, you know, I admit it. I, I, I'm bad at drinking. Um, I, I accept the fact that I'm bad at drinking because th the counter to that is that when you can drink a ton and still function, it's like being a professional drinker. Like alcoholics, we're professional drinkers. We're, we're good at drinking a ton and still making it in life somehow. And we don't really see how much 
damage it's doing to us, to our relationships, to the people around us, and just to our lives in general. Like when I was drinking a ton, I was passing up opportunities, passing up doors without even noticing a door was there, a door that I could open up and an opportunity for something really good in life, whether it was a romantic relationship or a really good job opportunity or a vacation of some sort. I mean, I, I blew so many good opportunities because I was more important to drink than it was to, you know, save money or have a bank account with a good amount of money in it or um, a relationship that might have turned out, but it didn't because the person I was interested in realized that I drank too much. Um, it's it, it, Looking back on my life now, I realize it and I see it. Um, even though the people didn't tell me that because I drank too much, they didn't want to be around me, I didn't think that that's what they were thinking. I was thinking that I was fine and then, if, you know, if a relationship, a romantic relationship didn't work out, so be it, you know, I, there's more fish in the sea. And it just, I didn't realize that everything that was happening in my life was related to drinking because drinking was the common denominator. There was always something there that was a part of it. and. Once I was finally able to admit and accept that I sucked at drinking, I wanted to quit because I don't like sucking at shit. I don't like keeping doing things that I suck at. So it was such a relief to finally admit and accept that. And once I was sober long enough, I was really happy about being sober and I'm still really happy about being sober. I'm so excited for the new things in my life that are coming with sobriety i'm able to stop and open these doors and do things and experience these new things and all these new things are going to happen in life and it's exciting it's great it's 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 phenomenal to be living this new life it's it's like a new lease on life and uh i'm so appreciative i'm so happy to have these new things going on um that i'm so happy to be sober i, I don't need to drink anymore i don't want to and, I pray that it happens tomorrow again for the next 24 hours because, you know, it really is just one day at a time. And so far, so good. And uh, like I said, now it's been 19 months, 583 days. Amazing. Like it's, It amazes me to say it. So anyhow, life's good. All right, I'm here with Mark today. Mark, welcome to the podcast. How are you feeling? Yeah, great, Jay. Thanks for having me. No problem. Um, well, I, uh, I'm i excited to hear a little bit more about your story. Um, we're coming into this one where I know just about nothing. I do know, the, uh, I guess, how long you've been sober and uh, a little bit about that. But but I'm, I'm excited to hear all the details. So why don't we just start with... Uh, kind of where your relationship with drugs and alcohol began. Yeah, great. Um, well, like I said, I've been sober about nine and a half years. September 24th uh, of 2013 is my sobriety date. Uh, I guess early on, uh, much like you, I had kind of a really good childhood, you know, mm -hmm. nothing out of the ordinary, no real family dynamic that, that I can look back and attribute to any sort of real problems um that could that could be blamed on 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 uh for, for, for my heading the on taking this path um it might be it might be easy to start kind of now where what i've gotten from uh sobriety uh is is some clarity you know as we begin as our minds begin to heal um we begin to see some uh some clarity as to how we ended up where we were and how we got to where we were and uh, not only knowing that it's a family disease and kind of seeing that progression in my own family, not that I would label anyone necessarily an alcoholic in my family, but I know it existed. Um, it was prevalent on all sides of my family. Um, but uh, my tendencies towards excessive behavior, I really never paid attention to that. But really, now that I've been sober, I can see with really clear lenses uh, how much uh, that excessive behavior 
uh, spilled over into every thought and and behavior of mine. Um, even now these days, I have to watch out for you know certain things like food and TV and you know things like that. Um, I can either be excessively uh, um, what I want to say, excessively uh, responsible and do everything I'm supposed to do, or I could be excessively slothy and sit on the couch and, and, and watch TV and, and, and not do, you know, the, the things that keep us, uh, moving through life. So, um, what I feel like I, I've seen with clarity is that, uh, the, the self-esteem, uh, when I was younger was really low. I was a victim of, of whatever, however it got to me, it, it, it ended up that way. Um, that, uh, that mixed with a very prideful family, very loud and boisterous and prideful family, um, and then creating an ego that could help support those two dichotomies. Mm -hmm. So a low self-esteem on one side, but need, need, need the, need, needed to feel like I was, uh, not somebody you could walk over. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, fast forward, um, <clears throat> uh, as, like as a kid went to Catholic school, um, had friends, uh, but always felt like didn't quite fit in with those kids, the kids that, you know, you could tell had money, uh, dressed a little different than me, things of that nature. So I always felt kind of a little bit off, but I still had friends and, and still had, uh, you know, still t tended to, to, to get along with those people. They just weren't my friends. So, um, what I felt like was, uh, that I was, I was an athletic kid, mm -hmm. a kid that could really, um, uh, compete in just about anything at any time. And what, what I ended up doing, my ego ended up using that as a way to get in with all the groups I didn't feel like I was comfortable with. So carrying that into high school, um, I was very athletic. I was in, in a, I was kind of a track star, um, ran cross country, um, you know, like grade school, high school was just the same thing, only a bigger pond with more fish. So I ended up really just, uh, uh, breaking off those groups in my mind again, having friends that I that I uh, that I came through grade school with that were still going to the same high school, and then I had uh, those that I would love to have been friends with. Now, I don't know if you remember the movie back then, "Can't Buy Me Love." Of course, with, yeah, yeah, with Patrick Dempsey, yeah, yeah, Patrick Dempsey, yeah. Uh, I, when I saw that movie, I it was I think it might have been closer to my late late junior year, maybe senior year. That reminded me of my entire existence uh, in high school, which was, yeah, which was um, I, how I felt inside was kind of how Robert Dempsey was. He kind of mm -hmm. the nerd in a way. Um, but uh, I I ended up from freshman year to senior year, I ended up befriending a lot of the jocks, a lot of the real popular people and leaving my good friends from high school or from grade school behind. Right. And uh, sort of created this whole new, you know, this whole new life for myself and sort of felt like a dream life. Like I was finally accepted and I was, you know, and and in that I was doing things that I probably shouldn't have been doing, getting into trouble that I probably, you know, that that otherwise I may not have seen. But uh, um, I didn't really get into drinking in high school. I think I got drunk three times, once my freshman year and twice my, my senior year. Um, I, again, I was, I don't know, it, it just didn't fit my, you know, what I was doing and with my friends at that point. So, um, after high school, uh, I went on to, uh, the military. So I felt again, very, uh, not a part of most of the kids in high school that were going to go to college in, in the eighties, late eighties, early nineties. I mean, if you weren't going to college, you were sort of like a flunky, you know, at least that's how I felt. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I remember specifically in the, in the, in the high school yearbook, uh, everybody's names listed and then what college they were going to. And that was a real big, you know, that made me feel like a real piece of crap that I wasn't, you know, I didn't have plans to go to college. My family didn't have anybody that really went to college. Um, so I'm like, well, screw it. I'll just have to pay for it myself. So um, that, that summer, I, my, my friends and I, a couple of my friends and I, we signed up for the military and uh, that's where we were heading. So um, I told them I'll take the, the shortest stint you can give me, uh, to get the most amount of money. So the GI bill was effective back then. It was, uh, it was uh, a two year stint. So I had to do basic training and then my, uh, my advanced training. And then, and then I had a two year commitment after that. So literally two years and three months through the military, I was out of there. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't, couldn't have gotten me out of there any quicker. Uh, 
And uh, so I, I traveled home and uh, said, you know, here we go. Uh, you know, it was, it was spring of 92. Um, I kind of, I got into a, like a landscaping thing with a buddy of mine, uh, started partying a lot. Um, now the military was one, one place that I really started to get the alcoholic bug. It was, right. it was part of our weekends and it was part of our, you know, the, the culture was just go to the PX, get a bunch of beer and bring it back to the, the dorm and just, you know, and just drink. So, um, yeah, we, that, that's kind of where regular drinking kind of started and then, uh, come home after the military. And then I would be, uh, um, you know, drinking and, and partying at the bars. And, you know, by this time I was, uh, you know, I had fake ID. I was, I was, you know, not quite 21 yet. Um, went to, uh, got, got signed up for the military. I'm sorry, got signed up, uh, for, uh, at Southern Illinois university. So that's where I ended up, uh, thinking I could go and, and be successful, you know, not really knowing the history of SIU, a friend of mine wanted to go there. And I, I'm like, yeah, I'll go to Southern. Why not? I got a GI money. So, um, nobody drinks biggest, in Southern Illinois. It's like one of the biggest party schools back then, you know, it had yeah. the notorious Halloween, uh, parties, you know, it was just a mess. So, and, and it, and, it, and I, and I lived up to that. Uh, when we got down there, we, you know, I signed up uh, with a, uh, or I got accepted into a fraternity, um, and then myself and a guy that I went to high school ended up being the only two guys that uh, that were in the fraternity house um, as pledges. So we lived in the fraternity house as pledges. We never got left alone. The The need for me to feel accepted couldn't have been any higher. Um, and that was all revolved, for me at least, revolved around antics that could be associated with drinking. So. Um, it, it never did slow down through, through college. Um, I didn't only, I only made it one, two semesters, uh, flunked out with, a, I think a 0.5 grade point average, right. like, which is barely getting to class ever. Yeah, we, um, we, and then, uh, what's that? You must've got a D in something. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> a lot. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, I, um, going forward, I, uh, I, I, I kind of, I basically flunked out. Um, I got into a real bad motorcycle wreck, uh, right there. Yeah. In that time before I came home in, in college. And, uh, it was just kind of that it wasn't, it wasn't associated with drinking, but, um, you know, there was just so many, so many issues that, that I, I didn't really recognize being a problem. I thought that at that age, that's what you do. You know, you just mm -hmm. drink and you drink to excess and everybody just drinks a lot and you have fun and you, and that's, and that's just that age. Um, my dad owned a plumbing company, so, um, he was a, a plumber by trade and, uh, had started his own company before I went to the military. So I, uh, I tried my hand at going to a community college and, uh, we, uh, I realized quickly that <laughs> I thought I could be a pre-med student. I did that at SIU obviously couldn't handle that. I thought I could come back to ICC and, and really power through it. Yeah. Pre-med. I mean, what, what am I thinking pre-med? I, I was the worst, I was a sub-level student anyway. So I, I don't know. Uh, that's me going for the, you know, going for the extreme. I, yeah. I'm a hundred percent guy or a not at all guy. So I was going to, if I was going to go to college, man, I'm going to be a professional and I'm going to be, you know, and, and it didn't work out. So uh, I finally ended up say, uh, you know, the thing that I despised the most, which was the idea of even becoming a plumber. Yeah. I had, I had cursed it for years. There's no way I'm going to do this. I had to go help my dad on summers sometimes. I'm like there's, there's, I would never do this if you paid me. I'd rather work at a Hardee's. Well, that spring I decided, you know what? I need to get off my ass and do something because school's not working out. So I ended up doing that. I ended up going to work for my dad. And for the next 10 years or so, uh, it was a big wrestle between my ego and reality. And my ego thought I should be something more. And the reality was, is this is what I was. And I, and I, and I wrestled with it uh, emotionally. Um, I got, I was embarrassed to tell people about it, that, that that's what I did. Um, so uh, in that time, in that first, in that first, I don't know, it must've been five or six years of, of being a plumber. Uh, I met a girl. Um, I met her through drinking, being out partying. Uh, we continued partying continued drinking, um, fought a lot, but, uh, you know, assumed that the next logical step was to get married. Yeah, so like that, right? <laughs> what's that? 
Sounds like a perfect match. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. She drank. I drank. Everybody around us drank. It was like this is what you do, right? Yeah. Early twenties. Um, had a kid. Uh, had a daughter, and uh, it wasn't long after that that, ironically, I felt like she drank too much. Mm-hmm. Now she was drinking every single day. I was a binge drinker on the weekend, so of course I thought I was above her in yeah. some way right like i i can't go on with life this way you know i've got a job during during the week and you know you, you're drinking all the time and it just kind of it started to snowball from there so i ended up we ended up getting divorced five years in um unfortunately not but maybe eight months later i met another girl uh thought this was what i needed this this was the person that i that i needed uh when truthfully, I, I knew in my mind, it, it's sort of embarrassing to say, but she could help me with my daughter and raise my daughter. And that was a great fit. And it just kind of naturally went that way. She had a great family. I ignored all the the the, the connection things, all the, uh, you know, deep emotional connection things that you, you're supposed to have with someone yeah. and just relied on she's great with my my daughter she's got a great family and uh we were together for 15 16 years and um you know my point in 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 kind of reliving all this is that um i wrestled with that dichotomy of uh a huge ego that thought one thing and a a self-esteem that didn't match that ego and those two fought and that emotional that emotional turmoil uh created an immense amount of pain because the reality kept getting more real and the, and the ego kept getting damaged and, and bruised uh, and alcohol seemed to be a great fit. And I just, you know, I never really thought of it like that. I just thought, this is what I do. I, I go out and enjoy myself and I'll just keep doing that until I can't do it anymore. Um, but really like you're at different stages of your life there, you're numbing some of those feelings and some of that turmoil that's inside. And that's, I think what you're getting at is that, you didn't, you, you know, you can only look, you can only realize that now looking back with that clarity that you've got. That's exactly right. Is that that's what it was. It wasn't just regular going out and partying uh, or anything like that. That really, there was something in there that you didn't want to think about, <laughs> that you didn't want to feel because uh, it was, it was, it was kind of ugly. Uh, and that's that, right. and that kept you, uh, kept you drinking, you know? That's it. Yeah. It was whatever I could do to numb that internal conflict. And uh, so, uh, you know, eventually I began to withdraw into myself and not communicate with my ex. It, it, it became very tumultuous. And uh, towards the end, I, I ended up getting a DUI about a few years before we broke it off um, and then got that cleared up, thought, okay, well, that happens to everybody, right? Everybody gets one DUI, sure. Um, still not thinking I got a problem. Uh, so in order to support my ego, I, 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 would, I would drink every, I started drinking every single day. Um, but I was productive, right? I would come home, throw the kid on the in a backpack, you know, thing, and I would go out and, and mow the lawn, right? And I would mend the fence and and spray the driveway and and clean the garage, you know, all while I'm drinking. But things got done, right? I was productive. I I had a job, I had you know, I had a family. I'm functioning, and and again, still not thinking I'm an alcoholic. I'm I'm functioning the way most people do, right? I think everybody functions this way. They 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 drink and have fun, and then they do their work. I'm no different. Well, um, eventually it caught up. I became, I became uh, sort of a an asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't recover as quickly. You know, when you get into your late 30s and early 40s, those those uh, those hangovers last days. Right. You know, you remember. I sure do. Yeah. And uh, and, you know, the job was becoming more stressful. I was missing work. Um, I was drinking after work in my office. I was drinking. Um, And I think when it became aware to me that that there might be an issue is when uh, I began to see my handshake one afternoon. Um, cause you know, like us, we, like we do, I swore it off every morning, every morning, this is it. I'm not doing it today. It's not happening today. I'm not doing it, you know? And by two o'clock, <laughs> can't wait. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good, man. I think I'm, you know, and, and, and then I'd start into it, you know, and I, I tried, 
going just to wine and I tried, you know, maybe just trying pot, you know, and, and, you know, just all these different things, you know, eventually it was like, whatever can get me there the quickest. Yep. You know, so, so vodka became the, you know, it was whiskey, it was good whiskey for a long time. And then it was like, that, that ain't quick enough. Right. I'm not here to sip. I'm here to get things going. So, um, so when it finally happened, um, I remember, uh, my wife, my, my wife at the time, uh, we had a kind of a come to Jesus. I need to go meet you where we engaged, you know, where we got engaged over at what's called Grandview drive here in Peoria. And, uh, uh, she kind of laid it out like, you know, this isn't this, something has to change, you know, and in my mind, I was actually I was drunk at the time, or pretty lit at the time that we met. Uh, but I'm like, you know, I, I kind of agree. Um, but but the, the kind of the running, the running thought in my head, again, this is ego, was that our problem as a couple is not just my alcoholism, or not me just it's not me drinking because in my back of my mind, I knew I drank too much, right? Yeah. Yeah. Drank every single day. So of course I drink too much. Um, but it's okay on Fridays, Saturdays, and you know, Fridays and Saturdays, it's, it, it's perfectly legal no matter how much you drink to, you know, to, to feel like you're, you're okay to drink anyway. Um, so that afternoon, it was the 22nd, that was the afternoon of the 22nd on the 23rd. I, uh, I decided to check into rehab. I went to that morning, I went and did a job, a plumbing job, hammered as unfortunately at that time I was I was actually drunk remembering that how bad I felt went to a uh, family therapist and told him I said man I I just I have anxiety so bad I don't, I don't know what to do I I, I don't know what it is uh, he's like well how much you drink and I'm like yeah you know I mean I drink, <laughs> I, drink I drink five or six times a week <laughs> you know that that same crap that you tell like even doctors you know like yep. oh well you know four or five well, you know, at the beginning of all the lies. So, well, you yes. know, that means nothing true is coming after that. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. It was it, it, the lies were compounding. You know, every, um, what's funny is so so then I, I I had my brother take me to. Well, I didn't even tell my wife I was going. I just went. I checked in, got in, and I was in there for twenty three days. And that first couple weeks in there, a lot of people had supportive families and support and people that were supporting them in there. Mine was not that way. She was angry, like really angry. So uh, she ignored me for a couple of weeks and that just made everything else, you know, compounded all the emotion I was, yeah. I was going through. So I dried up for 23 days. Um, I got off of Adderall. I got off of chewing tobacco mm -hmm. uh, and alcohol on the 23rd. I turned it all in and never went back to it. Uh, wow. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a trip. It was, you know, uh, again, I think I, my ego was, was at a, at a point where I told people I'm in rehab to prove that I'm not the problem in our relationship. <laughs> Whatever the reason it is, it gets you in there. Right. Like I wasn't going to admit it, yeah. it took me, they were going to kick me out because I wouldn't admit I was an alcoholic. Cause every mm -hmm. time you go to a meeting in rehab, you yeah. know, you meet like five times a day. Every yeah. time I went there, you're supposed to say, you know, I'm Mark, I'm an alcoholic. I'm like, I'm not saying that mm -hmm. I'm here just to stop doing it so that I can go home and prove that she's the problem. Not me. <laughs> so warped. The thinking was so warped. So, uh, so fast forward, I, you know, now, um, I'm, I'm, I'm dry. Uh, I go back home. I don't have a lot of support there. She's still drinking. You know, she was kind of a, I wouldn't, she wouldn't, I wouldn't say she's an alcoholic, but she, she, you know, cause I can't say that for anybody, but she, she drank. Um, my problem was as I got sober that I, I realized that almost nobody was drinking the way I was drinking. Yep. And you, um, we don't notice it until we're no. done. Cause we, yeah. if we do know, if you really internalize that sooner, then you got to stop, but you got to be able to fool yourself as long as you can. Cause if you think if, if you really, the truth is, Oh my God, it's pretty disgusting what we were doing, <laughs> but, 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 oh. but we think everyone is, uh, you know, on the same page. Absolutely. Jay. Uh, I, I think I was so dumb to the idea of how bad I was comparatively to everyone else. Right. I just assumed everybody else was drinking the way I was drinking. If I went to a party or I was at a party and people had a drink in their hand, how I was feeling, I assumed that's how they were feeling, right? And and you don't know any better. Nobody's coming up to you saying, man, you were way more hammered than everybody else at the party, right? Mm -hmm. 
you know, that nobody says that just like, oh, you know, afterwards, oh, that was a crazy night. You know, you did crazy stuff. Yeah, so did everybody. But no, nobody else did. You you were you were yeah. pretty bad most of the time. So as as we went to uh, as we started to try to fix our marriage a little bit, you know, at this point, it was I think it was I was 42 when I got sober. Um, we ended up uh, divorced. I think I lived in the basement for a couple of years uh, of our house, uh, still unsure how I was, you know, what I was going to do. And, and, you know, finally, unfortunately, uh, the house got foreclosed on because she wasn't paying, uh, bills mm -hmm. un unbeknownst to me, you know, at that, at that point in, in your life, uh, at least in my life, I wasn't doing anything. Alcohol was what I was doing. Right. Drinking was what I was doing and trying to recover and do light and, and do my job was, was all I could really handle. I, every, every responsibility, like, paying bills and doing laundry and things like that. I just didn't do, I didn't do any of that. So she yeah, did all that. It's tricky. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the part that, that I think is important for, for people to realize who, who uh, maybe aren't addicts and alcoholics or who haven't gotten sober yet or whatever, that when you get out of rehab or when you first go to meetings and you first get sober, all your problems are still there. <laughs> and, and a lot of them are getting worse uh, now. And then you now you have to all that time and energy that we spent drinking or using drugs or doing whatever we're doing, got to put into looking right in the face of a bunch of horrible crap, and mm -hmm. uh, and and trying to solve it. And so it's not this you know there's that pink cloud right when you first get sober where all of a sudden you're like oh it feels great your body feels better your mind feels better but then the cloud blows away uh, and here you are just looking at a big pile of shit going uh oh. This is going to take like 10 years <laughs> to fix all yeah. that. Yeah, well, <laughs> we have no concept of time. We have no concept of of facing things. I, I know I spent most of my time drinking, going around any problem, right? Not just drinking my way through it. You know, if there was a if there was something to go to that I had to face, nah, I'd rather just ignore it and 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 go on. So yeah, like you said, you're left with a big, huge wheelbarrow of crap that you have to begin to unload and go through. And uh, quite frankly, uh, I did the 90 meetings in 90 days. I probably, probably did. I probably did 180 meetings in eight days. You know why? Because I was going to go to more meetings than anybody ever went to. Ever, right? I was going to win that. I mean, this is another part of my part of my ego again. I'm going to, I'm going to be better. You know, I didn't speak in a, in a, in a meeting, really speak in a meeting for probably after a, a full year. Because I would hear people speak and say what I wanted to say and say it so well, you know, my brain wasn't healed. You know, it took a couple of years for my brain to kind of get healed and be able to speak intelligently. But uh, I would hear people speak and go, oh, my God, I wish I could say it like that. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to when I do get ready to speak, it's going to be it's going to be a mic drop situation. Like I'm going to I'm going to speak and people are going to just stand up and applaud and, and like, Oh my God, we have, this is again, the ego, the ego just that, that's, not get over itself. That's here's my character defect. When I first started going to meetings or in group therapy and my uh, rehab and everything, I spoke every single meeting right from the beginning. And I could, I, I had this desire to, for everybody to think I'm the smartest. I'm the funniest. I'm the wittiest. I, That's it. I'm the deepest thinker. And I got it. I'm listening to everybody else going, oh, yeah, I could beat that one. That was a good share. <laughs> I can beat That's that it. One. I mean, that is not the right way to approach rehab or, or getting sober. I was just listening to think how I can do something that's going to make everybody in there think I'm I'm better. I need, and then exactly it. Nice. Oh, I made that when that person cried. Oh, that was a real good. Right. One. I mean that, and it took me a long time to to direct the the focus uh, inward and maybe listen to what people are saying for the right reasons. Right, absolutely, Jay. I mean, you couldn't say it any better. That's exactly what I went, how I went into any any type of uh, uh, speak. In fact, I still here I am, almost ten years into it, and I still go to meetings. And if I speak from the heart and just let whatever is on my mind out. If someone doesn't follow it up, like, you know what? I really like what Mark said. You know, I want to follow. If, I, if they don't say that, there's still something in mind that goes, <laughs> Me too. it wasn't good enough. <laughs> Me too. You know, yeah, I oh, could have done better. So, you know, it, again, I, ego will probably always be a part of my life, but it has gotten so much better, Jay. Uh, you know, after doing a thousand, two thousand meetings, I was a regular meeting guy for 
I do probably five to seven meetings a week for the first five years. I had a really good collective of of, of people that I met with, and uh, I was just really, I had to be fully in uh, because I didn't know how I could do it any other way. There was no going back. I knew there was no going back. I went through rehab. I proved to everybody that that I was going to get sober. I couldn't not be sober. I, I didn't want to face that. My ego certainly couldn't handle that, right? So then it came. there came that point in time, like three or four years in, where you're like, I don't know how to live with alcohol or without alcohol at this point. Right. I'm, I'm in this, in this, this buffer zone of, of not really, you know, I, I don't quite know how to be sober, but I know I can't go back to alcohol. Right. There'd be times where I'd be sleeping in the parking lot of the AA place waiting for the next meeting yeah. because I didn't want to go home and wrestle with that fiasco. Um, so yeah, it was, it was hard. It was hard to, you know, I knew I had to, uh, for a long time when I was, when I went back to work, I was, um, uh, and I went back to work right after rehab, but I, I would go to noon meetings because I couldn't go a full day of working and not have some kind of break. It was just so stressful. Like, you know, is you know, I assume problems, I assume problems. And then I, I get overreactive about problems. That's what you, that's what I do. And that's what I feel like a lot of alcoholics and addicts do is make things worse by, you know, over anxiety in the situation or over, over just emotion, everything, right? When the emotion floodgates open, you're, 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 everything's either totally horrible and melting down or everything's completely perfect and, and you're overjoyed. Very rarely is this nice, even line of, of, okay, well, it's an, it's not a great situation, but I think we'll get through it. That type of thinking. It takes a long time to get to that point. Right. So um, now what's life now? Like it's, it's, it's better Jay than I could ever even describe. Truly. I've got uh, a company now I bought, I, I ended up buying the, the, the company business from, uh, from my parents this past year. That alone was a, had I not bought into so much meeting insurance um, early on, I probably, I could see how last year I might've started drinking again. It was that stressful. Yeah, but... I ended up having to take my, get, get an attorney and take my parents to court to, to, to get what I wanted out of the business. I've been here almost 30 years. My brother's been here nine years. Uh, I ended up, um, he wanted more than what I thought he should have. And that whole, you know, the family dynamic that happens with business, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. But what I have done was um, in, in 2019, uh, fall of 2019, I made a commitment to myself to change the way we did business. So at that time, we had eight people. Uh, we had, uh, um, let's see, eight people. And I wasn't working in the field at the time, but uh, we had eight people and we were doing business a certain way. And and it was the way we'd always done business. And uh, I decided to listen to this membership organization. I kind of attacked it the same way that um, that we do with, that, that Alcoholics Anonymous uh, recommends, which is together with collaboration. You can't do it all yourself, that type of thing. So this membership organization helped me to, to retool my company. And fast forward, uh, we've got um, now uh, 35 people. Um, we've got a company that's doing well over 6 million a year. Um, we had done like 2019, I think our best year was 1.4 million. So um, we, we have just had massive success. And quite frankly, it all started with with uh, me deciding, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna start coming into work super early, so early that I'll be the first one there every single time. That you know, regardless of what day it is, my truck's gonna be the first one here, and that's gonna set the precedence that lets everybody in the company know this guy's here and means business, right? And from that point on, it just sort of it sort of flourished, and then we started to create this culture. And I'm I'm proud to say that we just had a third party, uh, it's called an employee engagement survey. And it, it 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 answers a bunch. It asks a bunch of questions of everybody in the company anonymously about uh, how they feel about their job, how they feel about uh, you know our company, um, how engaged they are, and uh, we ended up with a with an overall company score of ninety four percent out of a hundred. So you know our culture is amazing. It's what I come to work and do. I don't work on plumbing anymore. I've got managers that do that stuff now. Um, I really come to work every day to try to inspire others to. Uh, be better people, right? You know, because that's what I learned how to do in this past ten years. I've learned how to, uh, and I haven't, like, uh, by no means am I perfect at it, right? But, but the things I have learned, I feel like I owe 
to others to help them and guide them like the kids Absolutely. you know these 20 year olds that are all coming to work for me yeah. are coming to work for us um you know maybe they don't have people that have guided them i wish i wish somebody could have gotten it in through my head early on you know right. this is the way you live life and these are the things you can get through if you just mm -hmm. you know put that stuff away and focus on this right what a perfect example of and i and i think we see this a lot in people eventually once they are like a little bit more secure in their recovery that uh, they start passing the principles of the 12 steps on to other people in other in other areas of life that mm -hmm. uh, I, I think, I mean, I, I think that everyone could benefit from working those 12 steps, whether you ever had a drink or a drug in your life, um, that the concepts are, are, are about becoming a better person uh, and a more complete person and, and mindful person. Um, and a lot of us realize, oh my God, what, what, what it was when we're, when we're, you know, get on the other side and we go, well, how can I help? You know, that's the 12th step, I guess. Right. But how can I help uh, bring these to other people uh, and help other people that way? Uh, also without seeming like some kind of jerk who knows it all, which is what, yeah, <laughs> that's a, that's a danger. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, that's such a great story, Mark. And, and turns out, um, being a plumber wasn't such a bad idea after all, huh? No, it's it's actually <laughs> it turned out, out really well. Yeah, yeah. For you. <clears throat> um, well, before we before we wrap it up, um, I guess I'd like to say think about um, one thing. Let's talk about gratitude. Like, what's something that you're especially grateful for today? Wow. Um, well, Jay, I'd say the fact that uh, I was able to. Um, open my mind up to listen to, you know, the very thing that got me uh, drunk is the very thing that keeps me sober, which is that ego. Um, you know, now I, I focus that ego on uh, doing what needs to be done, regardless of how I feel about it, uh, to, um, to set an example. So I'm, I'm, I'm grateful every single day that uh, I've got a relationship back with my, my daughter, my eldest daughter, um, that I'm able to maintain a relationship. My, my younger kids, my two younger kids have never seen me drunk. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm grateful for, I mean, we just, we just completely, we bought a building and completely renovated it. And now it's an, it's our new building. It's, it's decked out. It's just, you would walk in here and not think this is a plumbing company, uh, <laughs> is what everybody says. And it, again, just the pride to coming to work every day and having the ability to be in a position to, uh, to affect people uh, in in a positive way, and that's really all I want to do every day. I don't I don't I don't want to be a rule monger. I want to inspire people to want to be here. I want to inspire people to want to be better people. Um, and and that you know, I guess it wouldn't have happened had I not had that ego pushing me through. You know, staying saying you know because I also knew that if I ever went back even one time to drinking. Well, that would be permission to go back anytime. Like, I don't know if I come back from it, but I also don't, I, I know that, you know, if, if you do it once and then you come back to AA, what's to say you're not going to do it again? I mean, I had to just dump it and leave it. And I think that has set the pace for my gratitude in life in general. So awesome. I have a million things I can be grateful for. But <laughs> of course, that's good. Uh, yeah, I think I today I was just thinking about uh, I've had a bunch of little things or they seem little to me now that like aren't going so great. And, and, and I'm just realizing, Oh, I'm handling this so, so much better. I'm so much more resilient than I was um, when I was using or and drinking um, basically for the rest of my life until uh, seven years ago, uh, when things got tough, I, I, you know, I started hiding or running away or, or dodging it. And now I go just well. Now I've 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 handled some pretty terrible things. That Isn't now amazing? when something happens, I go that's ah, nothing. Like right piece of cake, right? I, I can and then I go yeah. I, and, and then in a few hours it's over. By the way, you know like that's I, what I yeah yeah <laughs> I big one, a big one I hold on to two weeks or had it over with in two hours. Yeah. Um, so you know the last few days I guess I've been thinking about it. like I'm I'm grateful for the kind of resilience that I've that I've gained from. Uh, from my, my recovery. Yeah. I've noticed uh, anxiety go down when in fact, I tell myself constantly, look, just wait 24 hours and see how it looks. Yep. Don't freak out now. And, and yeah. almost in, invariably 24 yeah. hours. It's like, you look back, like, what was I so freaked out about? Yeah. Like well, 90 something percent of whatever we worry about never happens anyway. 
Yes. So all this time worrying about something yes. that isn't going to happen. I mean, obviously, yes. we don't know that, but it, it doesn't happen. Yeah. And when it does but, happen, it's never as bad as I imagined it. You know, 100%, yeah, I can imagine some really bad stuff. <laughs> yeah. And usually a lot of times I do, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, holding on to that thought that just give it some time, man. Time yeah, takes absolutely. time. I mean, it, yeah. it'll, it'll be fine. Everything will work out. Absolutely. Well, here we are, two guys at uh, nine in the morning. Uh, it's, you know, big smiles on our face. Uh, right. And, and who would have thought, you know, 10 years ago, the two of us would be in, and we're in different, in different positions and it wasn't looking so, so great. So I'm grateful for that too. And uh, it was really great to have you on today, Mark. I really appreciate it. Jay, it was, it was absolutely my pleasure. And I'll, I'll, I'll let you, I'll leave you with this. Uh, just the fact of doing this podcast with you today was one of those situations where I had to stare it down and decide, was I going to chicken out and, and just decide not to do it because that's the easy way? Or was I going to just come on and try to be myself and try to share what, what, you know, what my life's been like. And thankfully you have a, a vehicle now that you can, uh, great success to you with this podcast. I think it's amazing. I, I hope I wish nothing but the best for you, but, uh, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you very much, Mark. I appreciate that. You're welcome, buddy. First of all, thanks again to Mark for coming on the podcast today and uh, to Mo, as always, for um, talking to us um, so openly and honestly about uh, his experience, his current experience in, um, in his recovery. I think there's great benefit to uh, listening to both of these guys today. So if you learned something or just appreciated Mark and Mo's stories in one way or another today, please be sure to rate and review the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Amazon Music or iHeartRadio or blibbity blabbity blibbity bloopity, wherever you find your podcast. Go there. Click the five stars. Write something nice. It helps people find the podcast, and that's a good thing. Uh, also, please click the support the podcast link if you have a few extra bucks in the budget and you're feeling generous today, like Joe was last week. Also, as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns that you would like to share with me, or if you'd like to be a future guest on the podcast, please feel free to drop me a note at Between the Lines Memoir at gmail.com. Or you can just spread the word, tell a friend if you have one, or if you don't, Go tell a whole bunch of strangers, maybe on social media. That seems to be what all the kids are doing. Most of all, thanks for listening today. And in the wise, wise words of my Uncle Dave, keep it simple, be humble, and hope for the best. See ya.